Hi, I'm Dieta. Welcome to the Culture Road Podcast. This is episode number five, and we are going to be talking about next generation equity, diversity, and inclusion. Really, really cool ideas as far as not just how shifts have happened over time, but also where we're going and things that you should be paying attention to. And we are also coming from Redland Koi Garden in Miami, Florida. So hopefully you'll be able to get some of that cool vibe along the way. So join us, stick around. We're going to have a really great time. In the basis and foundation of your organization. Yes. Makes like that's basic business, yeah. right? Is yes. like yes. having a full picture and having equitable practices and um, structures at every level. That's going to make Instead, money. All managers, all leaders, all C-suite folks all have expectations and they know exactly what that looks like behaviorally right, and demonstrably in a way that allows them to meet their performance goals. A more old, antiquated version, the checkbox version, right. is like you have a body already and you're trying to add parts or trying to strengthen it after, you know, it's already a fully built body, but the model we're moving into now is like, we're trying to put this in the DNA. Right. Yes. We're trying to grow it from okay, the beginning. Jayla. I know, I gotta paint the picture. Ooh, yeah, in the, in the DNA. <laughs> everyone. Welcome. Episode 5, Culture Road Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. I'm Dieta Jones. Today we're going to talk about next generation equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I'm super excited because nothing sings next generation than, like my colleagues who are next generation leaders, people with whom I work every single day. And we have really important kind of philosophical and practical conversations about what does equity, diversity look like now and in the future, and how does that look differently across cultures and across generations and across identities? And so we're going to have some really good conversation today. So with that in mind, I also want to say that we are in a beautiful koi garden, Redland Koi Garden in Miami. And so if along the way you hear some exotic birds or a rooster or anything else that is not uh, part of our conversation, just know that it's part of the vibe we're going for. I hope you enjoy being in this beautiful sanctuary space with us. All right, with that said, I am going to turn now to Lexi and Jayla. Thank you so, so much for being here. You are both people with whom I work every single day. Both of you have really amazing kind of technical and functional skills and things that you bring to our work every single day at Dieta Jones and Associates. But the other thing that I really love about working with you both is that you also bring not only experience related to equity, diversity, and inclusion as practitioners and professionals, but also your lived experiences and your identities really have made this something that is very personal for you. So we'd love to invite you to each introduce yourself and maybe tell a little bit more about not just the work that you do, but also a little bit about what it is that you bring to the work of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Okay? Perfect. All right, Lexi, yeah, you start let's us. Go. Um, okay, so I, Lexi Seals Johnson, I grew up in what could be like described as the least diverse place, very rural, small town Utah, which was a treat for everyone involved. Um, <laughs> I have a black dad and a white mom. So um, growing up, I was the black family in town. Um, diversity was kind of spoken about, but not really. Um, and then I went to college and I was all of a sudden thrown into like this space of higher education, which is always like very diversity focused. Um, but then I went to business school, <laughs> which was the complete opposite of that. Um, and so I really just re tried really hard to get fully involved in the diversity there and um, bringing about different voices, which you don't really see in business, especially in Utah. Um, where tech is the background. Yeah. Um, so I stayed in higher ed, worked for um, in that space for a while, and then started at DJA, where I'm now the project coordinator. Um, for me, just being in a space with diversity practitioners and learning about others every day is like very exciting for me. Um, and just seeing, even just from when I joined the space to now, is completely different. Yeah. The technology of it. The classes that they even offer when I started, like 
they offer managing diversity classes or where it started when I took it as the business case for diversity. Whereas now it's like the full enmeshment of equity in the workplace. So it's been a really cool journey so far. I love working for DJA and getting to work with you all every day and just sort of being the innovator and leader in this space has been really um, fun for me. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. We're gonna, I'm going to ask more, but we'll keep going. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, go for it. Hi, um, I'm Jayla Hodge, and my background, um, it's kind of long. I realized I was a EDI practitioner, a diversity practitioner, before I even knew what that was. Yeah. I just feel like it's kind of been there all along, even as a child, I was like advocating. <laughs> uh, but I, um, I went to Colorado State University. I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and growing up between there and Chicago and Michigan. And in Chicago, Michigan, it's a very like diverse populations. I was in that world. And then moving to Denver, Colorado, it's not near, it's not, it's not the same. It's not yeah. the same, not nearly as diverse. So that was a really big uh, kind of wake up call for me. Um, and so learning how to like navigate those two different spaces and seeing like the disparities early on shaped, shaped a lot. So the way I went to school, um, I got hyper involved in a lot of organizations um, and in college, so United Women of Color, um, I studied journalism. I also studied business. So I understand what you feel about yeah. the business schools. Um, yeah, there's barely a lot of diversity there. And then just kind of uh, after graduating, moved into working for uh, local government and municipalities and being hyper involved in community engagement. So um, it's just been an interesting journey uh, a lot along the ways. I've studied policy. Um, I've written articles. I was a opinion editor at one point and I covered like the race and they would call it the race beat where I reported and wrote opinions on things that are happening in my community and campus. So like you say, all along the path, this has kind of been my world. Yeah. And now with DJA, I work as a consultant, but I also am like a media specialist. So I create marketing content and do a lot of designing and just figuring out the way that uh, we organically show up online. Yeah, nice. And you and I spend a lot of time talking about like conceptually and philosophically, where is it that we should be paying attention? Where should our voice be? What are some of the developments that are really important to pay attention to? Yeah. So really excited to get into that. The other thing that I really love about this is, especially related to the topic of next generation leadership and equity, diversity and inclusion, it's been something that's been a passion of mine, my entire career, my entire life. So I started doing work as a diversity and inclusion practitioner, literally when I was a teenager, even before I knew it was a career path, it was just the passion and the activism that I was following. And then very, very early in my life, I was put into very significant leadership roles. When I was 25 years old, I had a very significant office as the head of um, human rights at the city of Fort Collins. And one of my mentors, Alma, ended up being a person who really guided me and helped me develop my own voice, but also was the person who introduced us. Yeah. Right. And I and then said, you know what? I, you know, I remember Alma reaching out to me and saying, you know, I met someone who reminds me a lot of you 20 <laughs> or 30 years ago. I want to make an introduction. And I feel like that's also a huge opportunity when we think about next generation. Anything is to also think about the opportunity for always creating spaces for new voices, always looking for wisdom that lives any, across generations and not making assumptions about where the really powerful, wise experiences and um, contributions are going to come from. So I've always tried to really model that, but I've also, I model it because I'm a beneficiary of it. So I actually really believe in it a lot. Yeah, and I think that speaks to, to like kind of like the baton race. I yeah, see yeah. that's like EDI. And I'm just going to share the story quickly because I went to the same college, university that Dieta did. And so, and I joined a lot of the similar organizations, including um, student government. And I was in a space that was all like pretty much all white, um, predominantly male too. And I had heard, and this is years and years later, but I, I joined. <laughs> like literally 30. <laughs> I literally joined this organization with like a fire, like, okay, let's get some bills passed, let's do this. And people would tell me here and there like, oh yeah, there was another student like this. And I kept, I heard about Dieta before I knew who Dieta was from multiple people. And I didn't realize it until after I met you. And I'm like, 
she was telling me about some of the work that she did. I was like, wow, I've been hearing stories and some of the bills and works that she had started like years and years prior were some of the bills that we used to like um, make new ones. It was the president's precedent that had been set. So it's interesting to see. And then I went and worked for the city of Fort Collins afterwards where Deanna also had worked. <laughs> and yeah, then I met Alma and I could see where she made that comparison. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love it, right? And it's, it, it's so cool. First of all, it just warms my heart to know that things that I was doing as a student activist actually had some impact, right? Because I cared so much and I was so passionate about it, but sometimes you don't know if young people's voices are actually going to be heard or taken seriously, if they're actually going to have kind of institutional impact, if they're gonna stick around and actually be taken seriously over time. But to know that some of those things that were really, really important at the time also allowed for people generations after me. And then uh, hopefully you did the same thing. And so yeah. that to me is like next generation leadership. It's next generation equity, diversity, inclusion. How do we create more spaces for more voices and also more potential for impact that's not as closed off and as exclusionary as it has been in the past. And it's the idea too that like that impact is long lasting and it's spread out over years. And like maybe after you immediately graduated, you couldn't see how big of an impact it would be. But now looking back, we're like, yeah, because you started here led to me being able to enter that organization and do the work that I did. And then maybe hopefully someone will come to me and be like, I heard about you in ASCSU. I hope. <laughs> yeah. That's right, yeah. in 30 years. I hope. <laughs> I'll have to give them a chance like you gave me would. That's right. That's yeah. the work. It's super interesting because I wanted to get into the EDI world forever. So when I graduated college, I did all of these informational interviews just to see how yeah. people got into it. And everyone was like, I have no, I have no idea. Like, right. I don't know how you get your foot in the door. When they graduated college, there wasn't like a space. There wasn't EDI consultants as there were. It was like individual practitioners. Um, and so... When I fell upon DJA, I was I was like, where is this coming from? But there wasn't a space where there's not a clear path to get there, right? Yep. As there as much as there is now. But I talked to so many people who were, and most of them were like, well, I was like the black woman yes. in HR, so now yep. I'm here. Or like I started in like higher ed and then came here, but there was none of them were, went into the workforce looking for this type of space. So yeah, it's very interesting. So that's the other thing that I think is really cool that you bring up is that equity, diversity, and inclusion has shifted so significantly. I mean, that was absolutely my experience that I didn't even go out to like set out to be an EDI practitioner. I was, I saw myself as an activist and I was just kind of doing that work. And then over time I started transitioning into consulting, but I didn't really have an idea about what my career path would be because there wasn't a career path. It was just me passionately kind of following opportunities and when doors opened, I would you know, go ahead and explore them. But there wasn't a real clear career path. And now there's so many opportunities for certifications and professional development and PhDs or you know, um, areas of focused concentration and an MBA program. So, it's so there's so many more robust ways. What that also means is that there's a lot of people out there saying, I do EDI. Right. And that's also a place where, I don't know, I kind of, I don't know if I have mixed feelings about that. Like, right. I also feel like just because you're the black woman in HR doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that you have deep into the pool expertise on um, kind of dismantling and or reconstructing systems that are going to make them more equitable without actually having some pretty significant understanding of some of the foundational things that some people who have been in this work for a long time have invested in. It doesn't have to just be you've invested in it over a long time. I'm not right. trying to say it just has to be age related, but really also understanding things like organizational development or really understanding some of the behavioral sciences and really having a solid understanding of kind of sociological and neurological kind of concepts that will allow for a really solid foundation. And I feel like those are some of the shifts that are happening right, right now as more and more people are finding themselves interested in being a practitioner or a consultant or in this space. Yeah, I agree. And I think that like you touched on something pretty important. It's like you have to know where we've been to have a good idea of like where we're going. And there's been so many people that have been in this like the DEI or EDI practitioners in the world of diversity, this industry um, that have done a lot of work, but they've also tried a lot of things. And so you have a better understanding of like what what actually changes a system versus repeating the same 
exact same steps and moves. And yeah. I think that's pretty important and that's something that gets lost. Um, maybe nowadays there's a lot of enthusiasm of people entering um, our industry and that's great. That means there's passion there. But I think that there's a false connotation of like what has been done in the past and all the work people have put in before us. Yeah. And so now I like when I look and hear some of the things people are saying, I'm like, oh, I don't think they have, have an understanding that that was tried. Like people in the 80s were talking about yeah, yeah. that and people in the early 2000s tried to implement something yeah. like that. And so I think we could easily get lost in this loop of of really thinking that these ideas and practices are new, but they're not. So yeah. like the real base of transformation, you have to have a good understanding. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, it's, it's, um, which is, I think what you're saying is actually making the case for the, not just cross-generational, but also all the different voices really being in this space together. The other thing that's really different now about equity, diversity, and inclusion is that it's global, right? right? And so, you know, as, as a practitioner, when I was early in my career, I spent so much of my time researching and studying and even practicing in the United States. And in the United States in communities that were particularly lacking diversity or that were really wrestling with specific areas where they needed to you know, make sure that there's more equitable access, where we were tra trying to pass policies and laws to make sure that hate crime legislation was in place, right? those sorts of things. But now the kinds of people that we interact with are literally across the globe, and you know that. We spend our, all of our time talking to people who are in Brazil and in, and in um, New, you know, Zealand. New Zealand and mm -hmm. Australia and China and Hong Kong, and it's wonderful. But we also are thinking of kind of next generation equity, diversity, and inclusion is so much more than local. It's absolutely global and it's incredibly local, right? right. It's so incredibly local that we right. also really have the ability to understand the nuances associated with the needs and experiences of particular macro cultures and then micro cultures, right. right? And how that plays out differently in different parts of the world and over time. Right. I think there's that constant dichotomy of understanding, especially in the EDI industry, that it has to be a global view because of social media and these global companies that are fully, you know, all over. And with the pandemic, people right. are working from home anywhere. You yeah. can work anywhere. Um, and also understanding that it is still very much local because from from where I grew up, like it's like the base level of diversity, right? That that local level there or in Fort Collins is still like the very bottom where work still needs to be done. Whereas we're also working with these global companies where right. they have that foundation, they have the basis, and now it's time to create that global view. Yeah. And so I think that there's constantly that space where there's need for both, but like where I don't think everyone has the full picture. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that's really important that we have now started with instead of like diversity, equity, inclusion, it's equity, diversity, inclusion, because that takes into account like the level of where you're starting. Yep. So like you said, that foundation, a lot of places are just like, well, how do we even, you know, how do we get diversity? We don't have it here. This needs to be a start. But we now know that when you're looking at these big like macro cultures, you have to adjust it like, okay, well, there is diversity here, but how can we make it either more inclusive or we start looking at things through a lens of e equity? Right. That's been a huge question. Sometimes it like totally blows my mind. I'll yeah. give a speech and the number one question that comes up is, is it DEI or EDI or EDISJ yeah. or belonging? And I'm like, um, really? Yeah. And then I realized what you name, you know, I'm a mother. I know what you yeah. name something is ridiculously important, yeah, right? Yeah. A name has a tremendous amount of meaning, but it's also really interesting because there are so many people who have kind of a bad taste in their mouth around the word diversity. Right. Diversity has been used and, and, and not always had a shared interpretation or not had kind of satisfying outcomes. So people automatically have kind of a thing related to right. diversity itself. But also in the absence of having a real obvious starting point as far as diversifying from a representational point of view, how is it that we can actually make meaningful, substantive and the right level, right? That systems level change and that's where equity lives. And so, you know, I always tell people like I've always said equity, diversity and inclusion. And sometimes when we work with clients, they already have the name of the initiative or the program that they're doing. And so we, of course, would honor whatever their preferences are. But for, but for us, 
equity is absolutely foundational, right? Equity is always going to place where at a structural and systemic level, we can look around and say, on a day-to-day -day basis, was this system, this structure actually built right. based on an equitable model? If yeah. not, how is it that we find the places or the opportunities to disrupt, to interrogate, to make adjustments at right. that systemic level? And then from there, we can continue to do some of the other really important work related to diversity and inclusion, but not skipping over nor downplaying the really ridiculously important and heavy lifting work associated with equity. Right, and I think like that's something that's so interesting is sometimes we go in to these strategy clients and they're expecting us to hold a facilitation where people can talk about microaggressions they've seen in the workforce and then they're like shocked where we're like, okay, what's your pay structure? Right, right, right. right. And we're like, that's not what we hired you for. And right. we're like, no, that's exactly what you hired us for because that's, if we can't start there, then, you know, that's a very like foundational base. Yeah. If you wanna have an equitable workforce, we have to start, we have to talk about pay structure. We have to talk yeah. about days off. We have to talk about parent parental leave. You know, yep. it's not anymore just like, oh, let's have a Cinco de Mayo lunch, you know? Exactly. No longer just days on the yeah, calendar. Yeah. yeah, we can't just talk about like Martin Luther, like King Jr. Day. We have to talk, it's like a full picture, which is still, I think exactly what next generation leadership or next generation EBI is, is we're in that space where that whole shift is happening. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's exciting too, but you know, it's, it's still something that people are bringing into focus because so many people who are in the workforce there's a lot of newer and younger professionals, which is really exciting, who coming in with like, without all those kind of old mental models about what it can and should look like. But there's also a lot of people, especially people in positional authority, who have D and I, not even the E, involved, and they have very specific and limited mental models about what's included, and their focus has been almost wholly on representation for the vast majority of their careers, right? It's the heavy emphasis on the diversity, and diversity equals representation. It's like a numbers game, right. yeah. and really, D and I, right, if we were gonna have like a, a, a from two, is moving from things that are just focused on kind of representation or programmatic sorts of things to things that were things that are like grassroots only, where people who are at the front lines of whatever the organization is are doing all the heavy lifting, all on a volunteer basis. They're not getting paid for the labor. They're not getting recognized. It's not part of a performance evaluation. It's not part of an advancement plan. Their voices are often underrepresented or underheard or valued. The decision-making authority doesn't sit with them. All of those are places that DNI has traditionally kind of um, sat. And it's also been pretty heavily focused on the HR side of the house, not to diminish the HR side of the house, but that's not the place where a lot of the decisions are made about like the, the, the where to allocate business resources, yeah. right? And so now that shift, if we were gonna go to the two, when the more contemporary model, the equity, diversity and inclusion focus is much more holistic and integrated. And it's much more about at the system level, right? How is it that we think about how all of the work that we do as an organization, everything that we do is really about equity, diversity, and inclusion in ways that are much more integral. Right. And they absolutely include some of the HR sorts of things like talent management and hiring and recruitment and retention. But they also have to do with those really core things like equity and the salary basis. Right. But they also have to do with things like impact in your industry right. or impact in your community or supplier diversity right. or yeah. or how it is that you're taking things like your employee resource groups and reconstituting them right. so that people who are participating in your organization's equity, diversity and inclusion goals are seeing them are being seen as helping to drive something that is strategic and also there's appropriate resourcing and support that's that's disseminated throughout the organization, not just yeah. for the few few people who have been the passionate few who have been carrying the weight right. for so long. Yeah, and I think like this is something that's also interesting is especially we see it now, but is CEOs or C-suite folks are like, okay, well, diversity is costing me money, right? right? Like focusing on EDI is costing me money. And and that's another big switch in next Huge. generation leadership. Yes. It's like, no, that will make you money. Yes. Like diversifying your portfolio, diversifying your suppliers, like putting equity in the basis and foundation of your organization. Yes. Makes like that's basic business, yeah. right? It's yes. like yes. having a full picture and having equitable practices and 
um, structures at every level, that's going to make you money, right? That's absolutely that's, the new model. I think it's like how I'm like picturing this too is like the, the more old antiquated version and the checkbox version right. is like you have a body already and you're trying to add parts or trying to strengthen it after, you know, it's already a fully built body. But the model we're moving into now is like we're trying to put this in the DNA. Right. Yes. We're trying to grow it. From okay, the beginning, Jayla. I know. I gotta paint the picture. Oh yeah, in the DNA. <laughs> yeah, we're putting it into the DNA, and that for a lot of people that's scary, especially if you already have again that body's right. been built, it's been functioning, it's been working, and we're kind of coming in and saying like, let's let's start building a new one. Yeah. Like let's start building the DNA now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it costs money, and that's for a lot of yeah. people. It's like a big difference because I think they're used to maybe not throwing in or investing as fully into it, but the results much more worth it when you do a stronger body yeah well, but you know the thing that you just said i i love that and it's like a lot of i think that's part of the opportunity right now too is to help people understand that that body that organization that people have said it's been working just fine is no longer working just fine right. there is no organization that right now after all that we've been through for the last couple of years can say oh yeah we're working we're, just we're fine good. everyone yeah. is going through something everyone has a disrupted workforce everyone is dealing with kind of the implications of the great resignation of hybrid working models of the systemic kind of interventions that are happening across every single industry these right. massive boycotts and call-outs at industry levels saying we're not going to take this anymore because we have lack of representation at the c-suite levels or companies where their boards are saying, you have absolute kind of, um, you know, one year to get your ducks in a row. We want to see your supplier diversity numbers change significantly. We want to see your C-suite level change significantly. Like people are really being held accountable at different levels now. And so that, you know, strength, just strengthening those muscles that may have been built before is not only going to be enough, right? And that's the opportunity now for people to understand. It may be some time for some kind of upgrading your parts. Like right. you might need a couple of bionic yeah. parts, you know, like it might be time to upgrade yeah. some of those parts. And I think too, it's like even further than that is like, it's like a moving and growing thing, right? Yes. Like I, that's the whole structure of EDI is there's no structure. Like it's fully moving and growing and things change. Yes. Like, um, like I'm thinking of like the mosaic of diversity, right? Yep. Which is like very in the weeds, but um, there's so many parts to that, yep. right? Like in like, I don't know, the yeah. 60s, it's like there's black and white, yeah. there's diversity. And then it's like, okay, there's men and women. And then there's like gay and straight. And now there's like a full full view, a picture. Right. I need to edit that it looks and like. put the mosaic of diversity right here. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And that's at the individual level, right. right? And then you scaffold it up and you start thinking about it at the organizational level, right. right? And some of the really comprehensive, forward-thinking um, work that's being done at the strategy level for um, organizations that are even enterprise-wide strategy levels, for global corporations, right, that are saying, how is it that we're going to make sure that we have a comprehensive strategy where equity, diversity, and inclusion lives in all of the work streams, everything from our technology to the way that we do our industry rewards and recognition to the way that we think about um, employee benefits and all of those sorts of things, right? So it's really comprehensive and it's not just about a training here or, a or there. exactly yeah. like we got a couple of people in those slots and therefore we now have met our quota or expectation. It's a much more comprehensive and strategic view. And so it's really interesting to think about at the individual levels, right, the, all the way up. The way that I often think about it is like strategy, structure, and culture, right? right? Yeah. That there's really important strategy work that's being done that is absolutely enterprise-wide and that is allowing organizations, even if they're global corporations, to say, where is it that we're trying to go? Right. And how do we make sure that we're actually infusing our values into our DNA and into our work streams and also distributing the expectations for advancement to people other than the black or brown folks or the women who have been kind of carrying the workload, but instead, right, traditionally, but instead, all managers, all leaders, all C-suite folks yeah. all have expectations and they know exactly what that looks like behaviorally, right, and demonstrably in a way that allows them to meet their performance goals. Yeah, and I think to go back to it is we're trying to create a space where you no longer have to make these decisions in reaction to exactly. in reaction. a call, it, call out or in reaction to a protest. 
Right. When they're already embedded within your system, yeah. then you don't have to spend money or have that reactionary response to right. being called out. Right. Or having a walkout. Like when that happens, it's too late. Right? right, right, right. It's too late. So you have to start from the beginning. And I think that's what yeah. you said earlier is people are scared to make that decision. But in the long run, it just saves so much time and energy and money. And when you ha- when you don't have to react to something and start from the beginning when people are where you're in a fire already, sure. right? And that also indicates like the level of care. Like right. you should care about these things before they become an immediate problem to your right. business model. Um, and I think we're starting to see that and that's really exciting. But yeah, you're right. It has to be at the intersection of everything. And you often hear people, uh, I think there's a belief like, well, that's HR. Well, that's this department. Well, that's this committees. Right. But when you have everyone at all parts of an organization, again, at the DNA of things, um, it takes the workload off of just like one group or right. one person or one job title. Of that black woman yeah, in and HR. It, you know, yeah, it's, exactly. it's everybody's problem. It's not just the black woman in HR's problem. But it's also everybody's opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, you know what I mean? Like this is, I, I actually think, think it's going to be hard to be a world-class organization without doing this. Right. Like it's just, it's just obsolete. It's very kind of antiquated thinking to imagine that there's any possibility of being a world-class organization that attracts world-class talent without having um, really understood and have really sophisticated models for integrating equity, diversity, and inclusion. And and really thinking about like, how do we build equity, diversity, and inclusion upstream in our work so that we're not just preventing, because I agree with you 100%, preventative is ridiculously important, but also having it as a, a, a proposition, right. right? A differentiator. Let yeah. me tell you what additional value we bring to you, to your clients, to our communities because of not just the diverse representation of our workforce, but also some of the sophisticated tools that we use for accomplishing our work. Yeah, that's very true. I agree. And I think that um, we have to think about it this way. Like, we even talked about it in our backgrounds that like this has been a part of our lives, like where our priorities have been um, starting way back even in school. Right. So now we have a lot of people entering the workforce that's like, I've been on this. I've been talking about right, this. Right. I have cared about this. What is your company doing with this? What is your organization doing with this? And we are yes. up, like, yeah. up to speed with the language. And so it's you want to attract that and talent I, yeah. those people. But if you go to an organization and I'm like, you aren't, this isn't in the DNA of right. things. Yeah. I'm not going to want to be there, yeah. but that represents a generation Literally. that's and I not th- going to yeah. want to be there. And I think that's yeah. something also that's interesting as working in higher ed and working for MBA programs and top talent, even in tech, like my students were always looking for equitable organizations. Exactly. It's not something that you can just stick on your website in the back row anymore. It's like the first question you're going to ask. Yep. Even when I, was, when I was interviewing or looking at, I don't even apply. Yep. organizations who don't have it like fully embedded into their job posting. Yeah. Yep. Like people aren't going to apply even as a supplier. Like when we are looking yep. for outside consultants to bring into DJA, yep. that's what we look for. We won't even try, wow. you know, like, and it's well, not just like a color, like color on your, who are we page? It's like on every aspect or structure of the business is I'm, we're looking for diversity, like diversity within the supplier and within, you know, the your system. employer. Yeah, yeah within, within the system. The system. Yeah. You're right. It's, just, it's super important to, you know, also think about that in, in addition to like the strategy stuff is the, the stru- that's, we kind of break it down to like the structure and culture. Like how is it that the structure that is in place to support the strategy is being, Again, this is where the interrogation is living, right? right? The interrogation of the structures that are getting in the way and or enabling right. the advancement of your strategy. And then at the cultural level, what are the ways in which we're kind of investing in our culture? And I feel like that's the place where traditionally we've spent more time related to DNI. Absolutely. And we've said it's all cultural and it's all internal. But you know, that's not at all how we at DJA approach it, right? It's, the internal culture is ridiculously important, but all of them touch each other. Culture and structure and strategy all connect to each other. And the culture of the organization is really important, but it's always, always, always important for us to be like, what are we doing? Why do we even have this company? Right. What are we in service of? And, right. and what are we in service of is related to our strategy and the vision and the aspiration that we have. And so making sure that we bring that same kind of comprehensive alignment right. to the way that we approach equity, diversity, and inclusion in this next generation world is going to be so important where people understand you can't just have potlucks and Cinco <laughs> yeah. de Mayo celebrations yeah. or whatever 
Women's History Month in isolation and not also be working on structural innovations and also making sure that your strategy is driving you towards more and more equitable yeah. practices. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like it comes down to um, I'm a queer woman. And so I see all the time in the queer community is like the bane of the existence is in June. Yes. Folks adding a rainbow to their logo. Yes. And then it's like, OK, well, what are you what are you doing the rest of the month? Yeah. Anytime. What are you doing in in your organization? What are you giving back to the queer community? Exactly. What are like I and I think that's where the structures come in as well is it's it's not just internal. It's fully exactly. what are you contributing to the world and at a global level. I, at a, yeah. Right. What are you giving back to that community? How are you educating yourself? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I totally agree with it's it. It just can't be internally and culture based. It has to be a full way of life, a full way of life. Yeah. Which also is going to lead us to really thinking about what are the skill sets necessary at personal levels, right? right? So the strategy level organizations need to be thinking about what does this mean for us as we pursue, create, and, and advance a really sophisticated contemporary model for what equity, diversity, inclusion lives. But at individual practitioner levels, when we're thinking about next generational equity, diversity, and inclusion and next generation leaders, that means that we're gonna have to really think about what are our skill sets. People like me, right, in my age group, we came up with very specific models of what leadership looked like. Right. And all of them were from a guy named Peter, right? <laughs> Peter Drucker, Peter Senge, some, some white guy with a PhD after yeah. his name. All of them ridiculously smart. I absolutely honor all of that work, but I also realized there weren't people who looked like me right. in those books. There weren't people who looked like me or sounded like me standing on those stages. There wasn't a career path that was obvious for someone like me to figure out. I figured it out, right? but I also now realize that the next opportunity is to give people like me a space to see people like me, right? right? As possibly creating and opening doors that don't have to necessarily be the same career path, but it have to do with being able to have positional authority, being right. able to have influence, being able to have impact. And that skill set is going to be different right. than what some of us learned through some of those books that came out related to management and leadership effectiveness 30 or 40 years ago. So we're going to have to really continue to reconceptualize that. But more importantly, we're going to have to practice it. And right. it's hard for people who have been really skilled and have had a lot of advancements in their careers to say, oh my goodness, I have to start learning again. Right. Because we assume that our, that our skill set is already really sophisticated. Right. And so now to have to slow down and say, you know what, I have to really invest in my own ongoing learning and it's not going to be taking a bias course right. or taking a microaggressions course. I'm right. going to actually have to do this over time and as part of an ongoing developmental plan. Yeah. That's that's going to be the goal, right? That's us. I think that's like the part that sometimes scares people. They're like, well, I've already done this. Like, when is enough enough? And I'm like, never, never. <laughs> this is a forever transformation and you yeah. just keep getting better yep. and better. Um, and that takes, again, it, ha it takes a true commitment to that. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsors and we're going to come back because what I'd really like to talk about are some of the super cool new things that have to do with technology and ways in which we're really starting to explore different dimensions of equity, diversity and inclusion that are going to be exciting for us to keep our eye on. This episode is brought to you by Culture Road, a live and on-demand digital learning solution powered by Dieta Jones and Associates. Culture Road is an easy-to-use subscription, delivering fresh content monthly and access to experts to help professionals at all levels thrive in the contemporary workplace. Stay up to date with best practices on diversity, equity, and inclusion and acquire the necessary skills and tools to effectively lead, manage, and influence others. Get connected with our community of practice to further your professional development at cultureroad.com. Okay, welcome back. All right, so we were just having a great conversation about all sorts of things related to next generation equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, and now I wanna shift a little bit to maybe starting off with some of the pain points, but then really going to some of the opportunities and some of the things that are really exciting and that way we wanna kind of explore a little bit. So people who are thinking more about the way equity, diversity and inclusion has been or what they've been doing in their organizations, they can maybe kind of start reconceptualizing and thinking about some of the things that are 
newer and really exciting and opportunities for us going forward. So one of the things that I know, because we talk to people who are managers, we talk to people who are individual contributors about the relationship with their managers, we talk to executives all the time. And especially over the last couple of years, we've asked so many hundreds of people, tell us about some of the things that you are nervous about. And um, one of, some of the places where you have gaps or ad additional kind of developmental needs. 65% of managers have told us that they oftentimes feel kind of uncomfortable speaking up related to equity, diversity, and inclusion because they're worried that their words might be perceived as biased, that they may be, in, you know, kind of impacting people differently than their intentions. 70% of people said that they've actually held back and are unwilling to speak up in meetings or in public spaces, even if they have a strong opinion, even if they want to advocate on behalf of others, they're really concerned about whether or not they're the right voice, whether or not it's appropriate for them to actually be the spokesperson. And up to 80% of people who we've talked to have actually said that they uh, really worry about whether or not they feel confident and have the skills associated with just talking about things that are kind of social issues that are coming up. Everything from Black Lives Matter to some of the hate crimes that have been um, happening against people who are Asian, against some of the violence against women that's been happening in Canada and sometimes in India, and, and really feeling uncomfortable initiating those conversations because they're not exactly sure how or if the people on the other side of potentially those conversations are gonna be welcome recipients. So to me, 65, 70, and 80%, those are huge percentages of people who are saying, we just don't feel confident that we know how to do it, but we really care, right? right? And so part of our opportunity, not just at DJA, but just as practitioners, as people who wanna live in a more just and equitable world, is to create spaces for people to have kind of safer space to explore and develop those skills, but also to really think about practical ways that people can be equipped to learn skills that might be different than those that they've been practicing. And so this is where I wanna to transition to. So with all, all that said, cause I don't wanna seem like it's hopeless. I wanna talk about the metaverse. I wanna talk about the metaverse. Yes. I actually feel like that's such a cool opportunity for us to explore helping people have space and create space for learning and practicing new skills that might actually increase things like empathy. And not just some of the practical skills, like what exact words come out of my mouth, but also some of the developmental and kind of emotional intelligence skills associated with things like empathy. So I know both of you are in different generations than me. <laughs> and so both of you probably have a lot more experience like with the metaverse and understanding some of the dynamics than I do. So I'm just gonna hand off here, but I'd love to know your ideas about how we could use this differently. Oh, it's, uh, it's so exciting, especially because with the metaverse, it's opening up the opportunity for us to have experiences in different identities. And a lot of our like knowledge and backgrounds comes from our lived experience. And the thing about the like this new digital world is that people will be able to step outside of that identity in some capacity and maybe get a different experience they would have otherwise. Um, and it's coming at us like so, so quickly. One thing about our generation is that we've We've kind of been like we've been meta for a while. We've been, <laughs> we've been in this meta. world. Like yeah. we all started off on like Club Penguin and Webkins. And wait, wait, wait. What's Club Penguin? I don't yeah. know what this is. <laughs> so you buy a stuffed animal, and um, it's like aimed for children. So I think like ages like eight through like twelve. And then um, it has a code on it. You go online, you put the code in, and it gives you a penguin. This is like early two thousand. Yeah, early two thousand. You live as this penguin. You build its house. You play games. I had friends I had never met in real life. All over, knew, all over the globe. All over the globe. That your club penguin. Yeah, and that was the first sort of global <laughs> experience I think I had because you're talking to literally other children from around the world who are on like Webkins or Club Penguin. And they're all dressed like penguins? Penguins, yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, so cognitively, did that have any impact on, well, I don't know, cognitively is the right word, but did that have any impact, like you being dressed like a penguin and all these other penguins, did it like free oh, you up to be a little so bit more expressive or something? I will say this, I remember like talking to like one of my friends, you know, we'd have hangouts and meetups um, and realizing in one of our conversations, it was the first time it hit me like, oh, this friend who I don't know what they look like, um, they don't know that I'm black. Like yeah. they don't know that. 
Uh, and that was like really interesting because now you're engaging with people on like such a new level. You don't, I didn't know what their identity was either. Now there's hints and indicators and you can kind of like start to guess culture. But yeah, like I remember that was really exciting to me. Yeah. yeah, especially growing up in like, I went to a predominantly white school. So I was always hyper aware of like, I'm black. Right. But on this like online sphere, it did, I was a penguin. I was a blue one. Um, <laughs> and that was the way I navigated. And it opens up like your way of like, your way of learning and perceiving things is different when there's not, again, that tied identity piece there right away. Yeah. And I think that's like just something social media and technology has done totally for our generation is you're interacting a lot of times without seeing who that person is. And so I think there's there's benefits and negativities to that. But I think a huge part of that is understanding different cultures, having a more global view and better understanding others' identities, right? Yeah, and I think you hit like a good point about like, okay, we want in real life, we strive to build like safe spaces so that people can feel free to like share those experiences, have those hard conversations. But something that like online, um, the digital world does is it enables like brave spaces. And we see it all the time. People are maybe a little too brave online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it really does kind of bring out, like that's a very different feeling. When you right. feel like brave enough because you have that not only part of like identities necessarily hidden, but it just, I don't know, something about it enables people to share more freely. And I think that's right. why our generation, like we have, we address these like um, confrontational or controversial topics really head on. Right. And it's because we grew up like oh. in that brave space. Right. And yeah, it enabled us in a way like that online presence from such a young age. And I think it gives you a voice, voice where you, wouldn't normally necessarily in the real world, right? In the metaverse, it's like I have can have the same voice as like the white CEO, right? Like there's there's a huge it's just very interesting because I can't or haven't had that um, experience in the real world, right? And so I think it 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 is just it creates a full different view of of the EDI space. I think. So that's interesting to think about that because earlier when you said, Lexi, like there's positive and potentially negative implications, I started going to some of the negatives. Like we right. really want people to be able to be seen and to show up as their full selves. And so to create spaces where people are not necessarily hiding, but their full selves are not available and where we are practicing, you know, kind of navigating all those identities could potentially make us less equipped to actually do it in the real world. On the other hand, what you just said about, you know, the equity piece is really interesting to think about people who have maybe felt marginalized or felt like they haven't had voice in the past or felt like the power differential has been too um, inequitable to actually show up in the same way as they might in this metaverse is really cool. So for people to actually practice developing their voice so that they can then transfer it back out potentially into right. a real world scenario. I think, uh, and that's a really good point. I have a friend um, and he's a white male and we have really great conversations, but it took us a few years before he could comfortably feel like we could engage in those type of conversations. And I asked him like, before you know, you had me, your, your black friend to talk to, <laughs> like, how did you learn? And he said he always felt better like going online because he's like in that in that online space, like I have the freedom to ask those questions. I can look as like, you know, as dumb or uninformed as I want, but I'm learning much more openly because Interesting. it's you don't ask there. those questions yeah, in, in person. Yeah, he's like in the real world, I can't necessarily just or you don't know how to. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how to. I don't feel comfortable to. I don't want to come off wrong. Versus there, it's a much more direct way, and I think that's an exciting thing, again, about yeah. like where we're going. It's interesting, like over the years, many, many times I've talked to people who I would describe as kind of individual contributors, not necessarily people who are managers of people. And I've said, if there was one thing that you could have more of um, from your manager, that your manager has the ability to provide more of in order to make your work life happier, more engaging, more uh, fulfilling, what would it be? And the top two over at like 20 years at this point, is feedback and then empathy, right? And it's really interesting to think about how either of those could be really, or both of those can be really developed and practiced in the metaverse, right? That empathy piece where people are actually saying, not just like, how do I, you know, 
have a, a, a case study where I'm negotiating saying this word versus that word, but also maybe even wearing the skin right. of someone else. Like to actually say, this is what it feels like. It's not gonna be authentic. It's not gonna be deep. It's not gonna be the same as having to walk in my shoes every right. single day. But at the same time, to be able to just have a glimpse of what it feels like to be perceived right. as a person who doesn't have as much power, right. right, as I might in the real world, or as a person who's a different color, or a person who's a different gender, right. right, or whatever it is, so that I at least have the ability to start developing some of that empathy that I might not ever have access to, and then layering in the opportunity to practice that skill development. Right. And that concept is already like, proven to work. We have shows like Love is Blind. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, where they don't see each other. We have shows where they take CEOs and take away their identities and drop them in the companies as right. a normal employee. And all of that is based off the idea of like, how can we build the empathy while taking away a piece of that identity that would keep them from having that connection? Right, right, right. Like right. enabling that kind of learning. Right. So it is exciting, the possibilities it'll open up. But we also have to think about too, um, you know, there's going to be downsides at the same time. Right, right. right and how to balance that out. And that's where the conversations are really like opening up and moving. Right. And that's yeah. where we, we yep. at DJA are kind of like starting to look at and really think about. So I'm so excited about this. I, I, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was at South by Southwest and I just was surrounded by so many ridiculously interesting people and ideas and concepts. And I realized, oh my goodness, there's this whole world yep. that exists where people are really deep end of the pool, figuring out how is it that we create the kind of systems that we actually want and how interesting it was to even talk about like Web3, right? And right. that Web3 is not just, you know, thinking about creating a more engaging version of the web that we're all familiar with, which right. is probably what is the more institutionally driven version of Web3, right. but this other more purist form that's also simultaneously being pursued and built out right now that's really about creating a model that is purely decentralized, that really reflects the kind of shared and equitable access that we want in the world and creating the space for that to exist. It's really complicated because we also have, you know, at the same time, these big institutions that are kind of doing what they do in the same way that they do it and for the same reasons, you know, data mining and monetization, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also really a huge opportunity for us to have this experimental and hopefully um, sustainable kind of space where we really are able to start creating some of those decentralized, equitable, uh, shared ownership spaces in the metaverse and beyond that will then have positive implications for the real world. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a question you get all the time, right? Is what does that look like? Exactly. And how do you get there? Which is very hard to replicate in the real world where there are systems that just aren't created for that. Um, that's just not how the world was set up. And so I think that's a really cool way in the metaverse to recreate that and see how how it would be structured, what it would look like, yeah. how people would communicate with one another. I'm gonna go back to our body reference. <laughs> it's literally in the DNA. Right, 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 right. It's literally in the DNA. Right. So like that's, we haven't seen that before. We right. haven't seen a body where you know, it's born out of these amazing principles of equity and inclusion and collaboration and innovation. Like, right. so I think that's where a lot of that excitement lives. Yeah. And global. Right. Right. And that's the thing that's like even more exciting is that we, we don't just have kind of our own US-based historical kind of context that's driving the definition of equity. We have everyone from all over the world and all of the different histories and traditions and stories and understandings of what equity, diversity and inclusion look like because all over the world, this topic is real, right? Especially right. equity, that's not a US thing. It, the way that we do it in the US is very particular to us based on our history, et cetera, et cetera. But all over the world, we care about equity, right? right? And so if all of us can come together and say, what would equity look like and what right. can it look like if we were going to approach it differently as literally kind of a human race? How might we build that? That's really, really exciting. Yeah, yeah even if you look at like the way they've structured money and cryptocurrencies, exactly. like right. it's not, doesn't belong like our physical money to like this country and this nation. It's those like those borders aren't there. Right, right. right. And so it's also, again, creating more access to people who wouldn't have um, typically have access to 
banking systems, right. right, to loans and mortgages, to some of the traditional lending venues, um, and also people who have been significantly disadvantaged by not having right. access to some of those big institutions, like women, right, right? or like unmarried women, right? right, or people who are single parents, right, who kind of, the, the layers of right. disadvantage are so significant and get steeper and steeper, especially in certain parts of the world, that to have these spaces and to have these things like cryptocurrency and all these different ways in which we're really reconceptualizing equity from the ground level up is really exciting. For us, I think that the huge opportunity is to think about as these different models are being pursued and built, how is it that we create opportunities for the people who we work with right, to start developing their own skills and knowing that this is gonna be a long journey, right? right? But getting people more familiar with and comfortable even exploring the possibility of doing something that might be a learning and development experience right. in the metaverse. And then thinking about how that translates and into developmental skills that are demonstrable in their real work or that are having right. impact on their own advancement or their own performance or their own 360 degree evaluations from their team. Right, if we can start creating more and more those spaces for people to practice being brave together, Right? right, and then that translates out into real-world positive benefits. That's the space I think we're sitting in right this moment. Yeah, it is the space, and we're like, it's it's always again, it's always transforming and growing and evolving. But it's interesting to see that because this like new take on like the digital virtual world, we're looking at identity so much more differently exactly. now as well. Like we're starting to talk about like not identity as in this physical body in my skin or my culture, but like in the ways that we literally think, exactly, and the ways that like our our brains and minds function and the thoughts that we have. Like that is something that's been relatively untouched or unexplored in past um, EDI conversations exactly. about those practitioners. Um, again, it's opening the door, ableism, all of that is becoming a much higher focus and yep, emphasis. Yep, yep, yep. And so, you know, also it's gonna mean that those of us who have been kind of programmed to think I'm a right brain person or a left brain person are gonna right. have to really get out of that really binary way of thinking about Ourself and even where we are on our own learning curve, and think of ourselves as kind of starting over, right? right. And, and 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 constantly investing, and also having a much more holistic approach. Okay, folks. So we uh, need to wind down. I'm so excited by this conversation and excited about all the things that are coming next. But to kind of wind down this episode, I would love for you to maybe share what would what are the things that you personally look for in next generation leaders and next generation EDI um, opportunities? Yeah, um, for me, I think it's something that we've talked about quite a bit is that like bravery to think outside of the box, especially in the corporate world where it has been so contained for so long. Um, and I think in the EDI space, you have to learn to be brave and, and speak out and look at the world in a different way from how you yeah. were raised, right? Because Things are changing so rapidly. Um, even as we've talked from when we grew up to when you grew up and, and it's only getting faster. Right, right, right. right. Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing for me is someone who is willing to do the work and and is willing to think outside of the binary of, you know, black, white or female, male, that sort of thing. Love it. You know? Thank oh. you. That was a really good answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think that again, I, I want to settle on the word bold because to be able to say like I want to step out of this body which has been functioning um, and into a new body a new DNA that works better for everybody is a bold choice and it takes bold leaders to like admit that and be willing to pursue that um, it's very it's an endeavor yeah. so that's the first thing I look for and companies that will boldly tell you organizations leaders like this is where we've been these are our problems and here's how we want to change it but have truly invested in that yeah right. um, to me that is a next generational leader um, yeah we ought to recognize like the past is the past we all were living in these systems in this old body but moving over here and doing it in the most the most, what is it? Aim for aspiration kind love of it. way. I love it. Aim for Aim aspiration. Aim for aspiration. <laughs> That's there you the go. Word. I love it. Absolutely. With that said, Jayla, you should just go ahead and like lead us on out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Culture Road. And if you like this conversation, join us for the next episode as we talk about the burn it down perception, burn it down culture. It's going to be a hot conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning into the Culture Road Podcast. 
we want to hear from you. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it on social media to let us know that you're listening. You can find us on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Have a question or comment? Drop a note under this episode or email us at podcast at cultureroad.com. You might hear your commentary on a future episode. Until next time.